Welcome to the Fluid Marketing Podcast, where we talk with industry professionals about what they're doing tactic-wise in the digital marketing space. I'm your host, Paul Matthew, a video marketing specialist that specializes in creating video that is going to generate sales for your business. Today, I have a special guest, Cameron Versluis. He has uh, developed his own web development in uh web design company and it's seen massive success he's done such great work he's helped me design my website and he's helped a lot of the community professionals so Cameron why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do (laughs) sure so we do a lot of stuff Um, we start out primarily by asking the question what is going to make this website a success or make this project a success. So that's actually going to take us in a lot of different directions um, because some people will will simply say, we want better branding. Branding is really, really, really important um, because after all, you know, uh, marketing is like asking someone on a date. Branding is a reason they say yes. So oftentimes the goal is just to create a really beautiful online presence that matches what they and their core demographic wants. Other times they want very specific functionality or they want more traffic. So if they want specific functionality, they might say something like, hey, you know, we are experiencing a lot of work. We're just doing a lot of work because we're we're not automated. We're doing this and this and that. Um, when orders come in, we have to paste them to this Excel spreadsheet over here and, you know, all this type of stuff. Um, and so automating a lot of that or creating functionality or new membership software, things like that can be really helpful. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we are just, you know, essentially helping people to actually grow their business, helping them to increase their audience. And that's kind of another thing entirely. So it's kind of all wrapped into one, but I think the biggest question is like, what actually would make this successful? And you can ask that not only of the client, but you should be asking that of their primary stakeholders as well before you start on any project. Yeah, absolutely. You actually answered one of my questions, which was the difference between branding and marketing. Can you explore that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. I would say there's there's a few different components to that. First off, marketing is like asking someone on a date. Branding is the reason they say yes. Branding is how you look and feel and associate and dress and color yourself and the feeling that you give people. People never, ever, ever buy because of logic, okay? They buy based on emotion. They work with you based on emotion and they use logical reasons to support that emotion, to justify making the decision that they're making. So giving someone a feeling when they interact with your brand is very, very, very important. And a lot of times people miss that because Branding and marketing are often not associated with conversion data. You want me to just go on here? (laughs) I was just going to ask, how can people create a feeling with their company what are some sure. what are some tactics that you could employ in a digital marketing space to to provide that emotional compelling mm-hmm. to your audience yeah well i think essentially the look and feel of everything that you're doing is plays so much into it um lots of things such as like when people are searching you what images come up when they search you know your company i think um, we've all googled ourselves at some point <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> what, what's on the first page because that's what people are seeing when they're when they're googling your company mm-hmm. um are they seeing you know a clear description of you when when they uh when they look you up and are this, they... this also comes back to like personal branding yeah. and just yourself in general because if you post a lot of nonsense on your facebook even though that's like on your facebook some of those facebook 
Facebook images come in on your Google search because I will Google search myself and that's oh that's something I posted on my personal Facebook page and it's a Google image result so being conscious of where that information is going at all times and controlling that uh, flow of information is so important well and I see that happen to companies a lot companies will end up with with images on on Google images that are getting pulled from forums or something like that and and people understand that right it's not mm. like people think that everything you Google is directly associated with that company but but the overall emotion and aesthetic that you get when you see everything from the typography to the colors to the to the images chosen hey do these do these people are these people diverse enough to to represent a, a wide range of different walks of life um, do these people so look how like would me? you how would you control that so say sure. someone post something about your company that's negative mm-hmm. what would be a way that you could counter that because that's something a bit out of your control well where are they posting it uh, it could be to social media, to a form, because mm-hmm. all this information gets pulled from all these sources. It's not just the website that you've created. So mm-hmm. if someone's, say, an employee at your uh, store posts something that trashes your mm-hmm. store and you wanted to control that image, since now that's what's circulating. And there's a lot of problems with that in the media that we see where there, I, I remember a few years ago, there was someone that posted a, them taking a bath in the fryer at the uh, restaurant that they worked at. And that Ouch. was bad press the person got let go so i guess my question is what could we do as business owners to help control that well i think you you have to start from assuming you're going to have something like that happen at some point right mm-hmm. if you're a big enough company and you touch enough people you are going to have some sort of pr scandal some sort of somebody posts a negative review something bad is going to happen online to you right mm-hmm. um so just assuming that what you need to do is instead build as much positive content as possible so that you can drown that out right mm. so for instance we have so many google reviews if somebody left us a negative google review we would still have five stars and, and it would be unauthentic if you had no bad reviews it, it can actually help you you have to have like a i think what 90 10 percent uh between positive and negative because if you inflate your reviews with fake reviews sure. and, and skyrocket people are going to notice okay why is there nothing bad that's a little little weird um versus mm-hmm. having some negative feedback sure yeah but if you if you spend a lot of time working on you know getting getting positive reviews and then like so so let's just say you get a negative review right there's a lot of stuff you can do with that typically people who like leave really bad reviews like one star reviews are really irritated about one particular thing Mm -hmm. right it's not an overall reflection of the quality or service of your company Mm -hmm. it's just they got really really mad about something and they decided because they were teed off to go get on the internet and vent about it Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes those people will leave a string of one-star reviews on lots of different companies so if you can engage them respectfully and just reply to them that's really helpful it's great if you can actually you know, find who that customer is and mm-hmm. then go back and do damage control with that customer. Call them up personally, apologize, offer a refund, do anything you can to make it right. And then sometimes they'll even take that review down. But you have to have lots of positive reviews and positive content to offset that mm-hmm. type of stuff. If you're just sitting there with zero Google reviews, you're a sitting duck. Yeah. The first person who comes along is going to completely review bomb you. Yeah, that it's... It's a numbers game. If yeah. you just have one, it's going to have a lot more weight than mm-hmm. 20. Uh, 
but also like what would be some guidelines for how you could respond to to reviews should you sure. respond to all reviews or should there be a criteria for reviewing responding to their reviews I believe you should respond to all reviews with, mm-hmm. with a thank you, with a, hey, it was great working with you, with a looking forward to our next project in February, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you, you happen to be uh, saying. So what I if definitely it's, What if it's like a troll or something? Like someone that, maybe not even someone who used your service or heard about it through somebody sure. else and is trash talking you mm-hmm. without context. Like, should you respond to those too? I mean, I th- I think you should just from the perspective of, you know, I'm the business owner and I'm, you know, I'm letting people know that I have heard this comment and that I think it is trolling for what reason, right? So you can mm-hmm. call out the you can call out the the insensitivity or the the just illogical nature of trolls. Mm-hmm. You you definitely don't want to egg them on. Like don't mm-hmm. start with a flame. I wouldn't respond two or three times to a troll. You know, mm-hmm. if they respond to your comment and then you respond to them and they respond, like, it's very clear that you're in an ego battle at that point. So it's mm-hmm. it's good to leave a polite response. You know, always polite. Mm-hmm. Always stay polite. Stay civil. Don't let them drag you down to their level. And then just let it go after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard some in some areas people advise not to respond to. Like, say, this wouldn't necessarily be in reviews, sure. but with uh, social media, yeah. there, there are companies that they respond actively to a lot of different comments, yeah. but they don't justify responding to all comments. So they have a criteria. Right. Is that right. something you should apply to only comments, or should that apply to reviews too? Well, I think we're talking, yeah, so I think we're talking about two different things. Yeah, right? there, yeah. So there's Google reviews, right? Mm-hmm. And I've primarily been thinking in the frame of Google reviews. Right. And I'm wondering if yeah. that framework applies or has any cross yeah. over. You, you don't need to reply to all comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no no need to reply to all comments or everything on social media. What about media? like a review You'll that is only stars and no actual review? Sure. Yeah, I don't think there's there's a need to respond to that. Okay. I mean, they didn't provide a comment about anything. It's not mm-hmm. like you know. But if somebody if somebody comes in and says, you know, hey, you know, you let's just say you're a restaurant. Yeah. And somebody comes in and says, hey, you, the kitchen is super unsanitary. You know, may, maybe they saw like one thing out of context and they were having a really bad day and they just decided to jump on that for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that your kitchen is clean and you are inspected regularly, you're keeping up with all of the regulations, you know, you are doing a really good job training everybody, you're cleaner than 90% of the kitchens in the area. You can respond and you can say all that, Mm -hmm. you know, and just let people know that that's just somebody having a bad day. Mm -hmm. But you know what, like, you don't you don't need to respond to anything and i guess the criteria you know it would be hard to determine mm-hmm. um but it you know it probably is is there value in leaving a response to this mm-hmm. and so the only criteria. i want to kind of segue from google reviews sure. and uh, listing your business with google because maybe some people have no idea where they yeah. could even direct people like okay where is google reviews if you're if you aren't listed, you probably don't even know where to find that information. So what's the process for that? Yeah. Um, so if you if you go to business.google.com, that's going to be your gateway. Um, mm-hmm. So you definitely want to add a Google listing. You can literally just Google, 
at a Google business listing and and just click on the links. They'll show what's, you how and get started. What's the why is that so important to your business? Like what if you don't have right. a Google business listing, what is what are you missing out on? Primarily geographically based opportunities and, mm -hmm. and reviews. Which is huge for local businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if, if you're a local business, yeah. you want to be listed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a service radius whatsoever or you or you prefer to serve clients within an area, even if you like it, Technically, we we serve clients internationally, mostly nationally, but we have some international clients, and and but still, so much of our business occurs within a radius of where we're actually physically located. Um, you know, it's it's useful for us to have a business listing and and all that type of stuff. And um, you know, as we consider adding adding offices elsewhere, we you know we'll add locations basically. Mm -hmm. But that allows when people are googling, you know, or they're on their phone and they're looking up. You know, restaurants mm -hmm. um, in, you know, they get results near their area. If you're not listed on Google, you're not going to show up. Yeah, and it, it gives you a competitive advantage. From yeah. what I understand, it's really, really hard to to rank on Google in in terms of SEO, which I want to talk about more later. And then, but if you have your business located or registered on the map, Google Maps, now you're not competing on an SEO framework. You're competing on how close you are to that particular person who is searching for a restaurant in their area. So your competition is significantly decreased. And there's so many businesses that don't understand this, that if you just list your business, you're going to beat out your neighbors by a hundred hundred percent. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. definitely a component of search engine optimization. And mm -hmm. it's a huge component. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so with SEO. Now, not everybody understands that if you're a business sure. owner, you've probably got a million things going on. So how can someone get started with SEO? What are the fundamental things that they need to know about that? Well, so the biggest thing you'll want to know about SEO is that topical content authorities win, period. So mm -hmm. essentially, if you are putting out regular content about a particular topic, you are going to win. That's just how, how it works. Mm -hmm. Google is looking for people who are uh, who have websites that are experts on a particular topic. So how right? could someone start to create that content with limited resources? Right. So so essentially the idea the idea is to create buzz as much as possible, mm -hmm. right? With limited resources, I think it depends on what resource you're limited in, right? Mm -hmm. Like are, if you're limited in money, then you should start posting your own stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the easiest way you could do that, you know, would probably be, you know, to d take a video of yourself talking about particular topics or let's just go with the restaurant example mm -hmm. again. You could take a video of, you know, some of the dishes you're offering and then real quick write out a description of that. Mm -hmm. um, it, just posting regular content is, is the most important thing. And there's, there are like, websites for freelancers like Fiverr where you can get affordable Absolutely. content writers. Yep. Uh, would you recommend a, a small business owner to hire out some writers to start creating content if they have a little bit of money but not a lot of time? Yes, I, I would recommend that. I would say slightly cautiously your reputation can be damaged if well you can approve of the Absolutely. stuff before it goes live oh, of course so you yeah. can have them write it and if you're like this is garbage this person yeah. clearly doesn't know my industry then you'd be <laughs> like i'm not posting that and exactly. you would be out some money maybe you could argue it or get revisions sure. but i would say you wouldn't 
just want to have somebody post that on your behalf, but you could outsource the right. the legwork. Absolutely. I just so if you are not great with grammar, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be the one approving it. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, so, so you're, you're not talking I'm about like about. content. No, you're, no, no, no. You're talking about grammar, grammar, spelling. Yeah. Are those concerns that you would find with writers? Absolutely. Uh, I know tons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, you can't you, you can't that? trust. Uh, someone to be competent in the basic level of writing when you hire a writer i know tons of business owners who are absolute geniuses like certifiable genius mm. and they can't spell but i'm talking about the the writers that they hire. and there are writers who are outsourced from other countries who uh, can't spell gotcha. or write in english very well mm-hmm. and the business owner can't tell because they don't remember the time problem right mm-hmm. so they don't have time to approve it and they don't really have time to look it over. And maybe they're a genius, but they don't have the grammar skills to be able to notice that it's kind of embarrassing. Right. Yeah. So so as long as you, you know, as long as there's a, a content positive, like a, uh, a filter somewhere. <laughs> right. You know, somebody's got to be making So you sure can maybe hire an employee that you're sure. like, yeah, you, you, you understand English. Uh, read this. this. Yeah. yeah. Just check. Just check, just check it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you could just delegate that to somebody if you don't, totally. if you don't have the skill set or time to, to do that yourself. Totally. They can even find your content writer for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's, there's a couple components of that though. Right. So, so you've got SEO, right? So mm-hmm. you could put out content every day mm-hmm. and if you're not aimed very well, it's like a machine gun pointing the wrong direction. Right. Right. If you're, if you don't have good keyword research done, mm-hmm. you're literally just firing off all this, all this time and money and work. So explain keyword research yeah. for our listeners that might not know what that means. Absolutely. So, so keyword research is essentially when you do research to figure out what keywords are going to be most relevant to your, mm. uh, to your business or the industry you're t- trying to target. So basically, you're looking for keywords that have a high search volume. Mm-hmm. So uh, high search volume, but an achievable placement difficulty. What, what, what are those numbers look like? What, what would constitute as a high volume sure. number? Well, it really depends on what you're trying to target. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, you could have a number like, oh, 400,000 people a month search this, and that's great, but your difficulty is so high to rank for that because everybody's spending millions of dollars in that in yeah. that arena yeah. to try to get to the front page so you're never going to make it it's unless... like trying to rank for the word shoe when your, your <laughs> exactly. competitor is yes. nike they have deep and deep pockets yeah. and they're going to outrank you every time exactly. <laughs> but but you could uh but you could certainly you know tell us about long tail keywords. that's exactly yeah. where i was going yeah yep. yeah so how could because maybe someone doesn't understand that they think they need to rank for shoe because they're a shoe store. Sure. And then what would you recommend that someone actually do if they are a smaller business? Find a keyword, um, find a keyword that is regularly searched. Okay. Um, but it search less often. So basically if you look at like, if you I think look the word, like the, a, the word keyword might be confusing because sure. you want a string of words. It's not just one word. Right. So key phrase. Yes. So think more of a key phrase if that's confusing to you, to any of our listeners. That is a super great clarification. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So key, keyword or key phrase. So find a keyword or key phrase that is searched regularly Mm. you might have one that's like searched like 40 times a month Mm. right and that's it but every single one of those people is ready to buy 
Mm-hmm. That is a good keyword. It's mm-hmm. a long tail keyword because if you look at the you know the search volume, um, normal you know high ranking keywords are up here, and then these that go out this way, those are on the long tail. Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, those are on the long tail, and so that's why they're called long tail keywords. They're yeah. searched a lot less, but they are still searched. So maybe you have forty people a month who are looking for, um, you know, laces for Converse X Y Z, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they're really going after that, and yeah. you can provide an article or, or even you know a product that will fit that. Comparisons niche. are a really powerful thing. So, if you have two products that people are looking between, that's a sign that they are in the buying phase. If they're looking at pros and cons between this product and this product now you're going to have a much higher intent. So that would be a good example. So for me, as if I were to talk about camera gear, mm-hmm. n- two new cameras just came out, and there's buyers that are trying to decide which one they want. And I wrote, use my expertise to write, hey, I tried this camera out, and I tried this camera out. Here's what I think of both. And you see a lot of this content because it works. People want to know, and then they'll read that article. And then hopefully, if you're maybe an affiliate marketer, they're going to use your link to buy it. Otherwise, if you're a retailer that sells that, maybe they'll buy it from your store, especially if you offer a discount to your readers, something like that. So there's different tactics that you could use. How do you feel about those? Oh. If, if you can get a comparison article <laughs> and you can get somebody to read that, yeah, they're totally in the buying phase. And if you can sell both of the products that you're <laughs> comparing, or you can at least you win either way. one and sell the other, or you can affiliate to both or sell both, whatever, you're, you're coming out ahead, mm. assuming that you can beat out the money you spent on advertising right. you know, with the affiliate link. Uh, now, I'm, I'm just curious, what if you were more bent towards a certain direction? Like you're a, coming back to the camera example, maybe sure. you're a, this Sony writer that always writes about Sony cameras. Now you're comparing this new Sony camera versus the Panasonic camera. Um, would you say that would be a good strategy if you promoted the the Sony camera because people are clicking on sonycamerareviewer.com probably already have a bent about the Sony camera and may want justification so more of a more people searching for rationalization of what they want to do mm-hmm. what do you think about doing that that's just something i was thinking of top of head well, this, I mean, that goes back to one of the fundamentals of sales, right? Mm-hmm. You have to believe in what you're buying. Yeah, confirmation selling. bias, basically. Yeah. You have to believe in what you're selling. Yeah. And so if you are if you have a Sony, you know, you have a bent towards Sony mm-hmm. and you're trying to sell Nikon, you know, you're not really being authentic I'm just, and that's going to come through in your brand. More like talking about like a generic selling sure. both and you win either way or would it be more powerful to be in the niche and work on that confirmation bias rather than that research. Just oh, work on the confirmation bias. Okay. People want to. I mean, people want to be okay. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and particularly if they're really undecided and they really just want some some help with it, they want somebody to you know strongly guide them. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants someone to guide them. Never forget mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most important tenets of marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. They people want some a, a guide. So you're you're. Headliner could be more written in a way of nine reasons you should buy this over that, and that's going to attract the, the, the audience that you want, the ones that want confirmation bias, or maybe want to see what the devil's advocate says. 
Specifically with with this example, though, I do think there is a lot more like logical thought processes behind people who go and look at at this type of thing, right? Like mm-hmm. if they're looking for a camera or whatever, they do have an emotional reason for buying, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you know they're interested in using that camera for their startup video business, or or they're they're really hoping to get a better you know uh, picture on on the the little picture in picture thing than they did with their last camera or something like that. They're hoping to get something emotionally. Mm-hmm. But that being said, they are going to be a little bit more they're going to sniff out like inauthenticity, like nine reasons the Sony is the best ever, you know. Mm-hmm. They're going to smell that. So so like you can certainly skew one direction, but but you know, there is there is something to be said about testing how far. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And what would be some limitations that you would apply as a, a guideline for yourself if you were in this space? What What are some of those boundaries you don't want to cross? Specifically, selling cameras. In, in general, like how what maybe a formula for how you could define what's too far in your right. industry? There's There's no formula. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely not a formula. I think you know it does depend on your audience demographic. You know, if they're very insecure and they really really want to be guided. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, you can go as far as you want, you know, there's right. a reason advertisements like, um, you know, there's a reason advertisements like get a free iPad work, mm-hmm. right? Because some people do latch onto that. It really depends on your user demographic. Mm-hmm. And I think like how far is too far, like is something you have to test, you right. know, in terms of like, in terms of how overt yeah. you want to Testing is messaging. so important. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. something we haven't really talked about, but even just having the, those two different articles and testing, seeing what outperforms, always, always having multiple mm-hmm. things to look at and not putting all your eggs in one basket and saying, well, this is probably what's going to work. So right. we're just going to go all in, but like mm-hmm. take your top two and then see what performs better. Can I make a note on that? Yeah, I, absolutely. I see this all the time. The mistake I see constantly with testing <laughs> is testing things that are not equal. Okay. So for instance, I say, oh, I'm going to write this this review, right, of Sony versus, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus Nikon and uh, this, this Sony camera versus this Nikon camera. And and I write a review and I say, I'm going to test my headline. And so, so for one month, I try one headline and for another month, I try another headline. Mm-hmm. That's crazy mm-hmm. because how are you supposed to know that November's traffic and December's traffic are going to be the same mm-hmm. or that people are even going to be in the same yeah. well, you you'd have to have some way of controlling mm-hmm. that so maybe not writing publishing two articles on your website because that would just get confusing yeah. and look weird um but you anything you could segment so whether that's social media advertising yeah. an email list something that you can take two sample audiences mm-hmm. that aren't going to overlap yeah. and so i think that's an important thing to know and i appreciate that clarification is that you do need to have those measures to control your testing. Yeah, and, and it's called A-B testing. Yeah, so version exactly. A versus version B, mm-hmm. you know, how do they do? And so, like, you can test, like, for instance, if you wanted to test, like, December last year versus December this year, if you've been marketing for 10 years and you know that your Decembers are pretty similar, mm-hmm. um, you could do that somewhat legitimately, you know, mm-hmm. but the best thing to do would be to A-B test it and, like, actually have, you know, 50% of your copies of this, this 
ad with a different headline or 50% of your copies get sent out uh, of the website with a, a different tagline on it or a different picture or something mm-hmm. like that. So, and don't test too many variables. At once. Yeah, you, you only <laughs> want to test one variable. Otherwise, your, you don't your information's inconsistent. Yeah. yeah, you don't know what variable changed the, yeah. uh, the response. Um, yeah. Speaking of testing, you told me a while back that when you do graphic design, mm-hmm. you hire a graphic designer and you design your own and then you figure out which one you like best. Explain that process. How has that helped you? Yeah, so so I have a lot of fun with that. So I, I do essentially design contests. I don't do every single logo or design that comes out of the company, but uh, but oftentimes if we're doing like new branding for a client, um, I enjoy like just hiring a couple local designers mm-hmm. and then basically having a face-off with them. I won't tell the client um, or any you know audience groups that we're testing it with I won't tell them which design is mine, but I do win fairly frequently. So you have the good. you have the client decide which one they like. Yeah. So yeah, so you're kind of sure. like, okay, am I a good graphic designer? Or is the professional a better graphic designer? Yeah. And you let the client decide, and that's if how you we're test offering it. them options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or so do you ever do it internally? Like decide, oh well, what they I, I like my design better, or are you worried about your your bias towards your own design? I I would. I would say the best thing to do, like, so, so like it, and it depends on the client's budget, right? So like the best thing to do is to have actual users in that demographic, look at them all and decide which one they like, which is mm-hmm. what we just did with, with uh logo package. We just did the other day. I won by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always win. I lose a lot too, but um, yeah. So, so that's the best thing to do. Um, you know, second best is to have the client decide. And the reason I say that is because it's very, very important to have a brand that you are proud of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, I should absolutely. like it. You know, you should love the brand that you represent. And mm-hmm. if you don't, you're not going to put the energy into distributing your logo and all that. Just don't make it too big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The logo should be very simple and, yeah. and should look sure. good in one color. That's mm-hmm. the graphic design advice I've been given. Um, yeah, well, well, that follows the trend of, of minimalism. So back yeah. in the 90s, they did a lot of – how are we doing on time, by the way? Yeah, we're going to wrap up here in the next few okay. minutes. Yeah, yeah. But. So back in the 90s, they did a lot of, like, skeuomorphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and skeuomorphic design is, like, we're, we're, like, designing something as if you're there. So, like, we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll draw, like, a table, very photorealistic or, or mm. whatever, or it's an illustration of a table, and then we'll put all your stuff on there, and then all the stuff is the links on the web page or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. That's like skeuomorphic design, kind of. Um, and then, like, minimalist design took over, and uh, and so minimalist design has very much been flat, very vector-based, mm. so it's not a lot of pixel-based. It's mm. a lot of, like, line and point-based drawings. Yeah. Explain and, for our audience listeners, explain sure. the difference between vector and pixel. Like, if I create something in Photoshop versus yeah. something in Illustrator, why yep. would it be important for me to build my graphic design in mm-hmm. Illustrator, a vector-based program, over Photoshop, a pixel-based program? Yeah, so, so basically, first off, if you ever ask for a logo design and you get a PSD or a JPEG, you you didn't pick the right Yeah, that's, that's, that's bad. <laughs> you if you, if you're getting right a PNG and that's yep. all you have, yeah. then what's the main problem with Unless that? Unless they're trying to upsell you to that. Yeah. But, 
But so essentially when like a PNG or JPEG or something designed in Photoshop is done, you they're squares, okay? Mm-hmm. Right, so it's square pixels that are put together and that's how the image data is saved. Mm-hmm. Now that's great until you have an image this size and you have to blow it up on a billboard. Exactly. Sweet. Now it looks terrible because you can see all the pixels. That always bothers me when people create graphic design and they like shift the images. They stretch it out and force it to fit. <laughs> And then it's also the resolution is low, and, like, that's clearly – that's a huge sign that you don't know what you're doing. My life mission is to not have that happen anywhere near me. (laughs) I don't want to see that at all. And then pair that with Comic Sans. Oh, wow. All right, wow. So coming back to vectors. So the way vectors the way vector graphics are saved, they are saved with points and lines. So basically, you know, it just contains the data about how the how the points are supposed to form the shape, if that makes sense. The that, shape. Yeah. And that's how you yeah. can stretch it to any size because it's not resolution based. It's it's based on the the math of what that curve looked like. Is that you correct? can print it on a planet if yeah. you had a printer big enough <laughs> you can you zoom know? in infinitely and it will look clean and crisp yeah. so we're we're just about out of time but the last thing i want to talk about before we go is when it comes to websites mm-hmm. what would you say is the primary reason someone should hire a web designer over doing something self-service such as squarespace or wix which are very popular what are the pros and cons of each sure. of those well so First off, anytime you're working with a program, and and I'm not opposed to you know Squarespace, Wix, that type of thing. I think mm-hmm. I think they can be a really good fit for for some people, um, especially if there's a limited budget or. Well, they're you know, actually more expensive than developing your own website if you develop it yourself. Web designer is going to be more expensive, yeah, but if yeah. there is a learning curve, but if you can get past sure. the learning curve, it's actually a lot cheaper to build your own website and host it than it is to pay a $30 subscription to uh, a drag and drop builder. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I I think the main thing is extensibility, Mm -hmm. right? So, so if you go build, if you go build something in, in Squarespace, um, and, and then later you want to add a membership component or you want to have it, you know, talk to an API or something like that, or, you know, you'd even like to include some advanced you know, some form automation so you don't have to do the Excel spreadsheet thing all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to be able to do that. You right. know, you're going to have to move to another platform. Um, and I think the other thing is, like, it doesn't really matter what tool is being used. I'm a little bit tool agnostic. Mm-hmm. I, I love WordPress, but, you know, we'll also use Shopify. We'll use we'll use Squarespace sometimes, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it just yeah, – we're a little bit tool agnostic. But the main thing is that the person who is doing it should have a really good understanding of responsiveness. Mm. That is huge. A, a Define responsiveness. Responsiveness is it looks good on every single screen all the time. Especially with how many different screens we have these days. Everything from an iPhone 5, tiny, tiny, tiny little iPhone 5, to a, you know, 4K monitor. Mm. Um, I've been to websites where you go on, you pull it up on your phone, mm-hmm. and their text is like still the paragraph. So you have to like side yeah. scroll to read it, and then side oh, scroll man. back. And like nobody wants to go to a website like that. Yeah. It's, that's just yeah. a pain to navigate. Usually, you see you see that formatting off, you bounce back. Yeah. And and speaking of bounce backs, you can measure that sure. as a, a web designer, so you can mm-hmm. look at 
maybe even if you want a proof, look at the comparison of bounce rates between a formatted website, a non-responsive, and a responsive website. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, at this point, over well over fifty percent of traffic is on mobile. Depending on your industry, mm -hmm. you know, it can be as high as you know eighty percent or more of your traffic is is just on mobile, mm -hmm. and that is really honestly what makes or breaks a good web designer or developer today how good is their mobile version mm -hmm. you know and 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 there's a lot of web designers who are presenting these beautiful you know desktop versions to clients because that's um, where and, they're looking at the, exactly. the business owners on their desktop look at, oh this is this is this, so cool this is so beautiful yeah. and then they get a crap on their mobile phone mm -hmm. but now we're, we're actually starting to to kind of go the other way we just did our first like uh our first ux um redevelopment where we presented the client with only mobile um only mobile designs mm -hmm. they approved that and the desktop designs will come now that now that the mobile designs are approved we went mobile first so wow. and i think that's probably going to be our trend um mm -hmm. significantly so i think that's, that's so important because that's component really where everyone's at is just yeah. mobile these days yep all right well thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about your web design and all these other topics that we discussed it was great do you have any closing remarks you want to say to the audience before we go i i don't think so i just really appreciate being here and uh yeah thank you awesome well thank you for listening in to the digital marketing fluid podcast uh we'll see you guys next time